The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Praise God for air conditioning, right? Amen. Yeah. There's a lot of countries that don't have it, and they're worshiping Jesus in the sweat. (laughs) I did some preaching in Bulgaria, and we had 70 people in a one-room house. Oh, my. It was October, but it was hot by the time we got done. It was crazy. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay. We are, uh, uh, we are exploring the questions that we ask ourselves if we are disciple makers. What does it look like as disciple makers to make sure that we're on track and that we are doing the things that God has called us to do? So the first question was, am I fervently pursuing my faith? Am I reading, praying, fasting, studying, gathering? Am I doing the things that I need to do in order for me to continue to grow in my faith personally? Uh, but then we also need to ask, am I invested completely? And that's when we start... Uh, recognizing as we invest in the mission that we can't do this alone. Christianity is a very personal religion, but it's not an isolated religion. You can't do it on your own. God set it up for community. So we want you to ask the second question, am I invested completely in the mission? And to do that, you have to engage, you have to give, you have to grow, and you have to share. And so that's where we have been is in share. And uh, last week we shared our version of the gospel, and this is just a, a, an easy way that we constructed to understand the gospel the way that we shared it last week. Good news. The kingdom of heaven is reclaiming earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God's only son. We who repent of our sins and give allegiance to King Jesus are forgiven and empowered by the Holy Spirit to spread his influence as we boldly follow him. And so that is a, just an easy way for us to talk about what the gospel is. Um, inside of that are so many different things, right? Um, and it comes out of the history of the Jewish people and out of mankind in general. And it goes into King Jesus coming back and saving us uh, uh, from this world forever. That we, we have a new heaven and a new earth and we get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven for eternity. And so we recognize all of that. And we're, we're excited to share this concept of what it means to share that. And so today, what we're learning is how to share your testimony. Uh, And that's where we are right now. So the considered question we have for today, give you about 10 or 15 seconds to think about this is, what is a testimony? All right, we are going to be in Romans today, one of my favorite books. Love Romans. Um, We are going to be in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 26, as we talk about what is a testimony Mm -hmm. um, and how do we share that testimony with others. 
Okay, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's Bibles underneath on, under the table. You can also pull up your YouVersion app on your phone if you have that and look that up in Romans chapter 3. If you're there, say amen. amen. Awesome. All right, all right. Okay, so we're going to begin in uh, verse 19. And Paul is basically talking about the law here. So we're going to talk briefly about that to begin with. Okay, so starting in 19, obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. And if you look at the ESV, it actually says every, every mouth may be stopped. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I find that interesting. Notice he brings up the word mouth because how many times uh -huh. does the tongue get us in trouble? Yes. Yeah. And we come up with excuses and excuses come out of our mouth. We love, so, to, we love to justify ourselves and condemn everybody else yeah, by what God says. So for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And that word in verse 20 when it says made right... Uh, a good word for that would be justified. That would be a good churchy word there, is justified or made right. Um, and then when it says the law simply shows us how sinful we are, basically shows us there means reveals. Okay? So that law is put into place so that we understand and know that as a world, we're never going to measure up. Now, the beginning of this passage is a little woe is me. <laughs> but we're going to yes. get we're going to yes. get to the good stuff That's you know right. remember this is Paul and Paul always sets us up for the good stuff he's good about that He'll tell you something that's wrong, and then he'll back it up with something that's right and the reason okay? he does that is because he wants us to know what we're saved from so that we can understand what we're saved to that's right that's right so basically in verse nineteen and twenty here it's basically saying the world is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be, it's always going to be fallen. Okay. And then going into verse 20, it gives basically the two functions of God's law. And when we're talking about God's law, we're talking about, right, the do's and don'ts, right? Mm -hmm. The do's and don'ts. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. All of the things that we know from the Old Testament is the law. A lot of us would think immediately of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and the way the Ten Commandments is set up is the first few laws are for how we relate to God, and the last laws are how we relate to mankind. Right. And so that's why Jesus said it can all be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. So I always call God's law love laws, mm. um, just mm. because I know so many people look at God's laws and they think, oh, well, there you go. That's why I don't want to be a Christian, because I've got to follow all these rules. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I always like to call it love laws because we have four children, and if we didn't have rules in our house, it would be chaos, mm -hmm. or it would have been chaos when That's they right. were all living at home. That's right. Right? And so those rules were put into place to protect our children. They were to keep them safe and to teach them the things that they were not supposed to do. Yeah. But God's law basically it does two things. One, it shows us where we're wrong, and it reveals to us that we need divine help in this world. Because from a human standpoint, we can't, there's no way we can do it, right? 
And then the second is it's basically a moral code given to us by God, and it serves as a guide for our actions towards ourselves and others. Right? So it keeps us out of trouble, just like mom and dad gives us rules in our house. I remember when we lived on Ashbourne, we had a, a fence around the backyard. And we would allow the kids to play in the yard, but they couldn't go past the fence unless they had our permission. Um, if they didn't have our permission, going over the fence would get them in trouble. But the reason was because when it went over the fence, there was traffic. When it went over the fence, there were strangers. When it went over the fence, they were by themselves, and they didn't know where they could and couldn't go because they didn't have the fence to help them. So God gave us the laws to build the fence around it. And you might think, love laws, now some of those had to do with sacrificing animals. Yes, those were love laws. Those had to do with our sin. The reason we, they sacrificed animals was to, be, to atone for the sins that we had committed. And so the love in that is God said, even though you've messed up, I'm already giving you a way back to relationship with me. You can atone yourself by making these sacrifices. And so they were still love laws, even though we don't really understand them well today. That's right. So then one of the things that we had talked about too during our study was these laws are in, in the scripture, right? They're in the Bible. But the question is, how do we know that scripture is really true? Mm. You know, some people ask that question. And one of the things we've been talking about is how, why do we believe what we believe? Yes. And we talked about that last week. Why it's, an, it's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. Yes. So that when we share our testimony with other people, we have a foundation to, to start on. It's not that we're going to be perfect all the time or have all the answers when we're talking about God to other people, but it does give us that foundation. So one of the big questions that a lot of not yets have is, how do we know the scripture is true? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Scripture says that. Scripture that, says that. You are correct. Second, I apologize. Second I'm Timothy not reading 3.16. That's Scripture right. says that. Misread my notes. <laughs> um, but Second okay. Timothy 3.16 says that. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong and in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And although we can point to this scripture as already, for a not yet, you can't effectively argue that the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. Right. That's, that's called one, a, It's called a circular argument. That's right. And that's one of the arguments that a not yet is going to ask you. Well, just because you say the Bible is true, how do I know that it's really true? Right? And so basically we have to prove that the writings we have today are the original writings that the author wrote. That's how you prove that um, those writings are true. And that's true for anything, whether it be Iliad or... Um, Aristotle, right? In order to prove that those writings were truly from that author, you need to be able to to prove that that's what that author meant, and you do that by researching and comparing and all of those things. So Mary just says, we know that the story of Jesus did not change over 2,000 years of, co of copying it down because we have so many copies from so many different places all over the world to check it. So she puts in here, how many biblical manuscripts are there? Mm. So for the New Testament, we have 5,700 Greek manuscripts. We have 10,000 Latin manuscripts, plus thousands of copies from Egypt, Syria, and Italy to cross-reference. So despite having multiple copies of the New Testament, all of those copies have helped confirm the content 
of the original writings of the New Testament by comparison and research. And actually, these numbers, and you compare them to some of the other secular writers of the time, like Plato, these are actually double yeah. what some of those Sometimes writers Sometimes 10, have. 20, 100 times mm -hmm. as many. That's right. And, and just recognize that what, what we're doing here is we're saying, if, you're gonna, if, if someone wants to get to know me, um, but they haven't had a chance to meet me, they're not going to call somebody from Washington State and say, have you ever heard of Michael Rogers in Ardmore, Oklahoma? <laughs> right? They're going to call people who know me in Ardmore, Oklahoma and say, what do you know about Michael? Uh, we're, when I, if I apply for a job and I use references, those references better know me so they can talk about who I am, what my character is, what my work ethic is, how I live my life, uh, whether I'm qualified for the job, those kinds of things are from people who know me. And so the reason that's important is because these are the people who know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we have over and over and over again proof that what they said about him in the first century is still being said about him today. It hasn't changed. Now, have there been other writers who've said different things about Jesus? Yes. But what we do is we compare that. So if they, it was written in the second and third and fifth and seventh and eighth centuries, those were people who didn't know Jesus. They may even be people who didn't know people who knew Jesus. So we can't trust. They changed something. We can't trust that change. We have to go back to the original and say, what did they say Jesus was about? And Jesus said, and I quote, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews understood exactly that he was saying, I am God, because they picked up stones to stone him immediately. That's right. So I just wanted to do that little sidebar on how to answer that question as we're sharing our testimony, mm -hmm. right? Because people are going to say, well, how do you know the Bible is really true just because it says it is? So we wanted to give you that little nugget today as we're talking about the law and we're talking about scriptures. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, salvation is not earned by keeping the law, right? And we're going to talk about that as well. No one can do that. No one can live up to that standard. And that's why we need Jesus, and we're going to talk about that. And actually, in Romans uh, 7 and 8, Paul is, is talking about that difference, they letting us know that um, when we try to live under the law, we do the things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things we should do, and we convict ourselves. The law is holy in itself, but it shows us our sin, and that's what he's recapping here in 3, 19 and 20, is that he's, he's, he's setting us up for the future and letting us know, it's, this is what I'm going to be talking about, is that we can't make it on our own. Okay, so let's look at this. Then starting in verse 21, but, and that's a big but, <laughs> but, and here's where it's going to start getting good, right? But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As we promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. There's no distinction. Everyone means everyone, all people. Yes. Right? And we are made right. We are, it's manifested in us. And we've used that word before in our teachings. It comes through, through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus. We are made right with God. So even though we cannot meet the law and we can't meet it, Jesus helps, Jesus clears that. 
God's law is perfect, but we are not. Mm -hmm. it's, so in saying God's law, that's the idea of the love laws. God's laws are perfect, and they are to help us love him and love each other and love ourselves. But we are not perfect, and we find ourselves constantly figuring that out. But God's grace is sufficient for all of us. And when Jesus died and rose again, he gave us the opportunity, every one of us, to make that decision to say yes to him. And when we say yes to him, we receive the grace of God. And that grace is important, that we, we need to understand what that grace is. What we need to do is first, we need to understand what sin is. And, and I, I've taught you guys, what is sin? It's missing the mark. That's right. And so the mark is God's perfect law. And when we miss that mark, then there is a penalty for that, and that's separation from God. So we will often say that penalty is death. Well, what is death but a separation? And that concept is when we are separated from God without putting our faith in him, then we are separated from God for eternity. And so every time that we make a mistake, we miss the mark, we put ourselves in jeopardy of that. But God's grace says, it's like God saying, I, I heard this one time, it's like having a, a, a person come in and find out that they're being convicted of a crime and the judge says you are guilty and you're, you're guilty of a, this misdemeanor and you owe $50. And then after he hits the gavel, he gets down off the bench and he comes over the bailiff and he gives him $50. And you find out the judge is actually the criminal's dad and he's paying for the son's altercation with the law. That's what God is doing for us. It doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. That's exactly right, because that's what grace is. It is not right and it is not fair. It is love in its most intimate uh, expression. Mm -hmm. He is saying, I am willing to pay that penalty for you, that separation for you. And so uh, the passage in 2 Corinthians 5 says, he was made sin who knew no sin. He became sin so that he could pay the penalty for sin completely. So that we could then have his righteousness. So the one who did nothing to deserve it got it. And the ones who did everything to deserve that penalty were freed from it. The one who deserved to get the reward got the penalty. The one who deserved to get the penalty got the reward. That's grace. And I want to talk about sin just real quick. You know, sometimes we think there are bigger sins than others, mm. right? So sometimes yes. we think, oh, murder is bigger than, you know, hatred. And adultery is bigger than pride or lust. But to God, all sin is the same. It's all sin. It's all separating us from God. It's all dividing us from Him. And it cuts us off from him because God cannot be in the presence of sin, okay? And so, like Michael said, this definition of grace is un what I call undeserved favor. Yes. Right? That's how I would define grace. Grace is when you're made right before God and God says you're no longer guilty. Right. I have sent Jesus to pay the penalty, like Michael said. Uh, whether it be I'm paying the jail fee, I'm paying the bounty hunter, I'm paying... The court, <laughs> right. whatever your penalty is, Jesus is paying that for you. And when that happens, you're made right and you have God's favor again. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. We are free because we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's paid for. It makes me think of two things. One, on the cross, as he's given his last breath, he says it is finished. But the Greek actually means the debt is paid. 
And the second thing is, when Jesus came along and he, he did his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he was, he was coming against the religious establishment. He was saying, look, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have, a, have to have, if you want to do it on your own, if you want to do it by yourself, you have to have a righteousness that is greater than they have. And so that's why he said, you've heard it said, do not murder, I tell you, do not hate. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, I tell you, do not lust. You have heard it said, love your friends, I'm telling you, love your enemies. All of those have to do with our hearts. And so then he lets us know where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And everything that you treasure is where your heart is. And he's saying, treasure people above yourself. Let them be the ones that receive the love. And so he's basically what he's saying is it's even harder than you think to keep the law because it's not just about doing the letter of the law. It's also about keeping the spirit of the law and the spirit of the law is doing it by the right motivation. I'm doing this because I love this person. I'm choosing not to lust because I don't want to object, objectify the person in front of me and I want to be honorable to my spouse. I don't want to hate my brother because I may not actually be murdering him, but I am murdering him in my heart and it is breaking our relationship. It's causing separation. It, there is a death in the relationship when I decide to hate my brother. When I hate my enemies, I am separating myself from them. I can no longer share the good news with them because they are, we are separated from each other. It is creating death. And he says, you have a choice. You can make life or you can make death. Choose life. Right. So let's go ahead and finish this passage because it kind of goes along with everything that we're saying. Right. So starting in 23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short. And what's all mean? All. Oh, we all right. fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace, which we talked about, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For, God's for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are, once again, made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And I love how in, um, where it says held back, right? That, that word there actually means divine forbearance or self-control or restraint. Yeah, the ESV uses the word forbearance. Mm -hmm. And this right here just shows when people say, well, you know, God's just a God of law. And if you don't do what he tells you, you're going to hell and all of these things. And Paul is saying right here, no, 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 no. Yes, there is law, right? But because of Jesus, you, the debt has been paid because you're never going to meet that law. And because of even prior to that, I held back. I am a good God. I am a fair God, right? And it's saying that right here. I have self-control, self mm -hmm. and I'm able to, to hold that back. And I love you enough that I gave you this gift of grace. The concept of self-control in the Bible, it comes from the Greek word enkotreia. And enkotreia literally means to hold your water. It's like when you have to go to the bathroom, but you're in the wrong place to do it, and you kind of bounce because you're trying to hold your water. That's what that forbearance feels like to us. God doesn't have that problem. God is not doing that kind of self-control. God has divine forbearance, and it is natural and easy for him to wait. 
and to give us the opportunity to be made right. And that's why he gives us the opportunity to say yes to Jesus because he is in his forbearance is not condemning us yet. He's giving us the opportunity to choose his son and choose life. And, and that's, that's just incredible. So, so most religions say, know who God is or who the gods are and know how they like you to do things. Do them and you will be saved. Don't do them and you will be condemned. God comes along and messes all that up. Know him and how he likes things to be done. Whether you do them or you don't do them, every time a human being lives a life, they don't do it. So instead of making obedience the goal of, or making obedience the method of salvation, he makes his son the method of salvation and says obedience follows that. Now we walk in the spirit instead of following the law. And walking in the spirit doesn't mean we forget the law, but what it does mean is all of those love laws that have to do with atonement are in Christ Jesus. The fact that we say yes to him, we are following all the laws that have to do with atonement. We now have, don't have to worry about those anymore. Praise God. We don't have to sacrifice any bulls or any goats or any duck, turtle doves or grain offerings and wave offerings and all of that crazy stuff that, that, that they used to have to do to atone themselves uh, for their sins. We now just say yes to Jesus and all of his promises are yes in Christ Jesus. So we get that set taken care of. But what that means is salvation then becomes a matter of faith. Obedience follows. Instead of obedience being the matter of salvation and faith follows. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion that's out there. And so what we've been doing is we've been sharing with you a kind of the gospel, just a short piece of the gospel where it actually meets salvation. The issue is most of the time, this is where the gospel ends. You, you, know, you, you say yes to Jesus, you get baptized, you cross the finish line. That's not the finish line. The finish line is heaven. You start your journey when you say yes because you become a part of eternity the minute, the, the minute that you say yes to Jesus. Now your job is to stay here. Why is it that God doesn't immediately, when we say yes to Jesus, open up the heavens and give us halos and wings and the metaphorical harp and now we can just be angels and go up to heaven? And Why, why does he not just take us right then? If we were made perfect by the blood of Christ, we can't get more perfect, can we? So now we're being left on this earth to mess that up the rest of our lives, right? Why? Because in the process of him making us more and more like his son, people around us will see the change and wonder what caused us to be transformed. And we will have an opportunity then to be a witness to what God is doing in our lives so that others can know and understand Jesus. That's called a testimony. And we're always nervous about testimonies because if we didn't like do 10 different kinds of drugs and spend time in prison and almost commit suicide and battle with depression and bipolar and all these other things, if we didn't have all of that and then Jesus saved us from it, if it's not dramatic, it's not a testimony, but that's not true. The truth of being a witness is there was a part of you that was one way before Jesus. Then you met Jesus, and now it's different after Jesus. And so that's what was, when we say be a witness, what we're saying is, remember, B, C, J, C, A, C. This is how you give your testimony 
of what God is doing in your life. And listen, that's all the Acts 2 church knew. They knew that Peter had just preached a sermon. He let them know that Jesus is risen. They said yes to Jesus. They got baptized. There were 3,000 that day. And the next day, it's not like they suddenly knew Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. They, that, those hadn't been written yet. All they knew was Jesus and him crucified. And that's what Paul says. I want to know Jesus and him crucified. I want to see the resurrection in my life. I want to understand what it means for me to actually follow him by actually letting him be king of my whole life. And as we start doing that, we start doing things differently. We once held our, did our finances a certain way before Jesus, but then we met Jesus and he taught us how to do our finances. So after that, we did it differently. We once were sinners and we were, we were dead to, to, the, to God, but then we met Jesus and after Jesus, we're alive in the spirit. Once, we had a hard time keeping friendships because we lied all the time. But then we met Jesus and he taught us the value and said the truth will set me free. And so now, after Jesus, I tell the truth. I was once an angry person and I had a hard time keeping my temp temper. But then I met Jesus and he showed me how to handle my frustration and how to handle my bitterness and how to handle my disappointment. And after Jesus, I'm no longer that angry person. Anything that Jesus changed in your life is a testimony to someone. And I think the reason why Paul brings up um, both here and then also in Galatians chapter 3, he talks about how there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all in one in Christ Jesus. I think there's a reason for that. Because sometimes I think when we go to share our testimony, we think, well, this person's another ethnicity, or this person comes from another side of the tracks, or this person I don't really relate to, so how can I possibly share what God has done for me, mm. who I was, oh, who good. he is, and who I am, yes, yes. right? But Paul's saying right here, don't look at that. Everyone means everyone. You are now all the same under Christ Jesus. Mm. In God's kingdom, we are all the same. We're not earth defined by our earthly labels and titles. We are God's kingdom now, and we are all of his children, and we are all one in Christ Jesus. And, you know, you were talking earlier about start to finish. Yes. And earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16, he, uh, Paul says, this good news, remember we talked about good news last week, and what that means. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish mm -hmm. by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And we know what that life means. We know that life, according to God's kingdom, is abundant mm. and full yes. and overflowing mm -hmm. beyond comprehension. That's the life that Jesus wants us to have. And that's when we be, say yes to Jesus and he brings us back together with God. We're made right with God. I love Hebrews chapter 9 when it says that is why he, Jesus, is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Mm, good. I love that. That good. mediates. He's the mediator. Right? God, Jesus, I can't, I'm not perfect. I can't obey all those laws. I can't do everything that you tell me to do. But Jesus, mm -hmm. you mediate between me and God. And you've created a new promise and a new covenant. And I know who I was and I know now who he is, and now I know who I am. I am a child of God who is, his, is made right 
and I have God's favor with him. And that word favor means approval or kindness or support. A blessing, yeah. I don't know about you all, but I want God's kindness and approval and support. Yes. I want his favor. I want him to look at me and say, that's my daughter. And because of my son, because of Jesus, I have mediated a new covenant, a new promise with her. And she is my child and I am proud of her and she has my favor and out of that then comes that abundant life that he talks about God just shared something with me I gotta it's it's a little off track it's okay if we stay under the law instead of under grace our BCJCAC will change before Christ we didn't know what was right but because of Jesus we now know what was right and after Jesus we start judging everybody by what is right that's not what this is about before Christ um, I wasn't a very good person but Jesus Christ made me a good person and after Christ I now tell everybody what a good person I am that's not what we're talking about what we're talking about is the fact that if it wasn't for Jesus if it wasn't for Jesus I would be lost I would be way worse off than I am now. But because of Jesus, I am now, after meeting him, more than I ever thought I could be. That's testimony. And when people hear that, they go, hmm, I might want some of that. Because I see some of the same things in me. So we talk here at the jar all the time about being filled to be emptied. And to some extent, being filled is about being filled with the spirit and learning how to be kind and gentle and have self-control and all of those things to to learn how to be that kind of person. But to empty that out isn't just to do nice things for everybody. It's to share your BCJCAC. It's to share who I was. It's to understand who he is and tell people who I am now because of him. And when we do that, we empty that blessing on the other person well you were talking about don't get too full of yourself right because paul tells us that lots if we go further into that passage from Mm -hmm. 27 down then Mm -hmm. it's starting in verse 27 paul says can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by god (laughs) no no comma yeah (laughs) there's some there's some versions that say god forbid because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Yes. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. And then, of course, then he backs up what I just said, which is, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? No. Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. And then in verse 30, it says, there is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Praise him. Yeah. Praise him that he loves us enough. I mean, the words made right. I don't even, I should have counted how many were in that particular particular chapter. Made right, made right, made right, made right. Okay. So if you, and I'm going to say this specifically, maybe there's someone on the podcast that's going to be hearing this. Okay. But if you feel like there is nothing that you can do to make, to be made right with God. You feel like you've messed up too much. You feel like you used to believe and now you're not sure. If you feel like I'm not good enough for God, 
I just want to tell you right now, that is a lie from the enemy. Yes. And what he is saying in this passage is, all you have to do is believe in me, believe in Jesus, and I will make you right with God. And so if for whoever that's for, yeah. I feel like it's for someone on the podcast that's going to be listening. I, I just want you to know that God loves you no matter what you've done and that you have been made right with him because of Jesus. And all you have to do is say, okay. I, that, that, that verse just keeps coming into my head. I can't even remember where it is. All of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And so when we say yes to him, we find ourselves receiving all of the promises. And a couple of the big ones are in Matthew 28, 18 and 20. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's nothing that you have done that can keep you from the power of salvation in Christ. And there's nothing you can do to get yourself out of his hands. As a matter of fact, when John talks about Jesus is talking in John and he says, I've got you in my hand and, I, and God's got me in his hand. So you're double clutched. No one can snatch you out of my hand because I've got you and God the Father's got you and the spirit is within you. You are free. So what is a testimony? That's what we asked you in the consider question. This is how we'll finish. Uh, a testimony is a story about your transformation because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that you've given every one of us a story. Some of them are really dramatic, God. Sometimes you save us from the worst things. But it is always true, God, even if it doesn't seem dramatic to us, that you saved us from the worst us. And that we are spoken for. And that you have done everything you can except to make the decision for us. But you love us too much to do that. So you are asking us if we're not yet believers to make that decision for you. So that you can give the love and the promises that you have for each one of us. And for those of us who are already, God, I thank you that you have saved us. But I know that you are still sanctifying us. You are still making us holy. You are still setting us apart from the rest of the world. You are making us better than we ever could be without you. Father, help us to share that transformation story, that testimony with someone this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you're a believer in Christ looking for an opportunity to learn how to be a disciple maker, come see us at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Our regular gatherings start on Sundays at 4 p.m., so you can still make it to see us today. Hope to see you soon. I am fit.